Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. There's no tiptoeing into the unknown. Welcome to the future of medicine, where disease is no match for tenacity, no match for ingenuity, where together we go boldly. Learn more at GoBoldly.com. Hello, listeners. This is Scott Bland, your host. We have a bonus episode of the Nerdcast for you today. The executive directors of the two House campaign committees, so the NRCC's John Rogers for the Republicans and the DCCC's Dan Cena for the Democrats, are battling for control over the House of Representatives in 2018. They don't agree on much, from who's more unpopular, Nancy Pelosi or Paul Ryan, to just how many seats are at stake in the House of Representatives in 2018. But they both sat down together for a conversation with Playbook co-authors Anna Palmer and Jake Sherman for a live broadcast interview in Washington, D.C on Thursday, and we are giving it to you to listen to now. Before we get to the interview, a reminder, you can subscribe to Politico Playbook's audio briefings on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. It is a great way to keep up to date on the essential Washington news in just five minutes every morning. With that, here on a bonus episode of the Nerdcast is John, Dan, Jake, and Anna. And and now we're going to welcome the the two men who are spending millions of dollars and making a lot of consultants very happy. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Dan Cena, the executive director of the DCCC, and John Rogers, the executive director of the NRCC. Thank you. Come on in. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Come in. Thank you. I get up, but I'm afraid that I'd knock this microphone down. Um, Sneak in here. Okay, so... Uh, get close to the microphone. Okay, yeah, close. really close. Uncomfortably close. And break out some political water. Thank you. <laughs> We, we don't have Trump water, but we have Politico water. Um, okay, so we are less than a year from Election Day, and um, uh, give us your elevator pitch for <laughs> why you are going to keep the majority and win the majority. Uh, I think the... This is John. Yeah. Hi, John Rogers, everybody. Nice to meet you. We're really saying it for those in podcast land. But <laughs> there we go. But he did a hand wave, too, so that was really yeah. that was a good extra <laughs> Enter hand wave. Go ahead. Yeah, if you could hear the... Anyway. Um, yeah, I think the short, you know, easy one-word answer to that is Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I think that, you, you know, you've got a proven situation there that didn't exactly work out so well the first lap around. Um, and on top of that... You know, I think, you know, you'll likely hear my counterpart talk about, you know, the seats that they have that they're focused on. But, you know, there are 12 seats out there that Donald Trump won that Democrats currently hold or are open, um, which are a great opportunity for us to go and take. We've got some great opportunities in, you know, a place that, you know, we haven't necessarily played in before in like a Pennsylvania 17. Uh, We've got a great candidate up there, a guy named John Sherin, who's already raised a bunch of money in that seat. We've got a lot of opportunity up in Minnesota. Uh, top open seat in um, Minnesota's first held by um, Tim Walls right now. He's not um, running again. And, you know, and, and, and really like our chances there. We have two really strong candidates uh, can go on from there. You know, really like Minnesota eight, 
Uh, Rick Nolan seat, who, you know, frankly, has really only got elected the last two cycles because he was running against Dort Mills, um, is going to be running against a really strong candidate named Pete Stauber and has a primary on his hands, you know, which will be really interesting to see how the primaries play out on their side because they've got, I think, only, I think it's only four, three or four competitive seats where they have one candidate. Uh, running in in those seats, and they've got a whole host of candidates in, in a lot of the others, which I think is going to drag their their team to the left. So All right, Dan, so this Dan. will be fun. Sure. Dan, yeah. yeah, sure. Thanks, John. Uh, <laughs> first of all, thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, look, I. I it, John's a very, very smart guy. Uh, we realized in the back we were actually neighbors, which was a little was great. But uh, look, the reality that could, is... That could get really bad. It was, no, it was, it, was, it was actually kind of a funny revelation. Look, the, the, the truth is, 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 with all due respect to my counterpart, the sheer size of the battlefield we have built and that we continue to build, we have 91 targeted races. We have 86 viable races already. Candidates where we have candidates who have raised six figures, the sheer size of the battlefield that we have... Is, is, is substantial in strategically uh, positioning us to be able to, to take back the house. I, I, I think one of the key pieces that's important to realize is that energy is on our side. And, and in regards to, to, to the, the first comment about the primaries, and I'm sure we're going to get into the primaries a little bit more, but, but you know, I, I don't know of a whole lot of races that have been lost as a result of too much energy. I just, I just don't know that. Uh, I haven't heard of that. Um, and, and so the sheer size of the battlefield combined with the grassroots energy that we're seeing on the ground, um, and then you combine that with what is an incredibly, incredibly unpopular legislative agenda. Um, you know, the Republicans from day one of this, this sort of new, um, full empower mode, if you would, completely botched healthcare. They've completely botched my, my, my colleagues, um, on the Republican side are spending six to eight million dollars a week. Let's just stop there for a minute. Six to eight million dollars a week is being spent on their own members, on their own votes, just to make sure they vote for the tax bill. They're having to pay for their own votes on the healthcare on, on the tax fight right now, um, and, and it just goes to show how deeply unpopular the, the the legislative agenda they're they're working towards is. So I want to ask you, Dan, though, because I, I think this primary issue is is yeah. an issue that is obviously going to be running through the next several months. And I think the point that maybe I don't want to make John's point for him, but that we Jake and I talk a lot about is if you have multiple Democrats running these seats, that some of these candidates are going to be pulled to the left yeah. in order to actually win. Yeah. How do you counter that or make sure that that isn't going to be no, the I, big problem? Well, I think a couple of different things. First of all, um, I, I, I think as we saw in the Republican primaries last year, the primaries play an enormous and important part of the process. Um, and I think it's hard. I don't think anybody can argue with how much Donald Trump really benefited from the primaries last cycle. Um, I spent a little time today just reviewing in preparation to see you all, and it's very nice to see you all. Uh, I spent a little bit of time reviewing what happened in Virginia. So let's just look at the most recent big election that we just had, nationalized race. Let's just think about this for a second. So you basically had a a contested Democratic primary and a contested Republican primary. You look at where turnout, turnout went through the roof on the primary, went through the roof in the primary. Terrific energy, monumental energy. On the Democratic side, you look at where votes came from for the governor's race, turnout stayed high. Turnout stayed high in the dark blue areas. Turnout stayed high in the Democratic areas. On the Republican side, it dipped substantially. Now, on the Republican side, they also had a primary. 
Um, and let's remember the primaries do go both ways. And, and my, my, my counterpart, um, uh, I do not envy the task you have in terms of holding the party together. Um, there are sort of strong forces on multiple fronts. Uh, in both parties, to on be fair. both parties. There's a real difference of holding the party together when you're in power. Um, and so I, I, I think the key piece to notice here is in, even in Virginia itself, significant turnout in the Democratic areas in the general, significant drop off in the Republican areas. Having voted for an institutional sort of traditional Republican candidate for governor. I, I think that tells a huge amount about how the, benefit, the primaries can really benefit the Democrats. John, you seem like you're itching to respond. <laughs> yeah, for, for folks listening at home right now, that was me itching for a little while. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I'd love to talk about Virginia. You, you know, the, the, you, obviously the results of the governor's race, you know, on the, on the top level were what they were. But when you, you know, look at that, the, the areas that Trump won, there was higher turnout um, and Gillespie won by a hard, higher margin than, than what was there in the past. So it's not like things were really just down in Republican areas. They were actually up from where they were. And yes, things were up in the Democratic areas and by more than they were up in the Republican areas. But, you know, a lot has been made over the seats that have been flipped in the state house there. Um, but when you take a step back and look at geographically where they are, um, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are in currently Democrat-held congressional districts. Um, you know, so you look at that. You have you have one district that flipped that was in the western part of the state. You had, I believe, it was three that were in Virginia Beach in the Democratic area of Virginia Beach. You have uh, a handful that were in downtown Richmond. And then the rest were basically in Alexandria. Uh, and there was, a, I think it was 12 or so that were, like, if you look at it on a map, it's really clustered in that, you know, that corner of the state. You know, and in that corner of the state, these were a bunch of seats that, you know, Hillary Clinton got 62% of the vote in. And that, you know, that Gillespie was outspent two to one in that DMA. So you look at that concentration of where these seats really flipped there was a massive amount of spending that occurred on the other side in that media market, which is really tough to overcome in seats that, you know, that, that, you know, frankly, were, were, were Clinton seats. Um, you know, and this is very similar to what we saw in the Georgia special election um, where, you know, we saw that very early on where, uh, you know, and, and in the state house, a lot of people that I've talked to in that Virginia race, there were a lot of people that seemed to be surprised by that, that like their polling didn't really show what was there. And really early on in that Georgia race, we started to see, you know, that this like, you know, some of these tectonic shifts that were occurring and allowed us to plan and, and, and get ahead of that and win that race. We'll be right back with more of our playbook audio briefing. But first, a word from our sponsor, Pharma. There is no tiptoeing into the unknown. Now is the time to put the accelerator to the floor. The best is yet to come, like advancements in personalized medicine and immunotherapy, and it's coming faster than we can imagine. Welcome to the future of medicine, where disease is no match for tenacity, no match for ingenuity, where together we go boldly. Learn more at GoBoldly.com. Let's talk about something that is has been an issue in well in every uh, uh, house race basically in the last almost decade and it's Nancy Pelosi and that's if you Republicans have pretty much said publicly that she has been a difference in races that's, that's uh, all they uh, need then that's, that's the what argument. that's what Republicans say so I, I want you to both uh, uh, talk about that her she's obviously 
like any congressional leader, a very unpopular, has very low approval ratings across the country. Um, Dan is going to argue that it doesn't matter. John, you're going to argue that it makes the, all the difference. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it. You know, in that special election in Georgia, I think, it was, I think the number was 92 And, and just so we talk about the special election, it was uh, John Ossoff, who was a, a young Democrat from, uh, uh, from the Georgia. area, and Karen Handel, the Republican, who ended up winning that race. I think it was 92% of the ads that were running that against Ossoff. We talked about Nancy Pelosi. So, yeah, I think it's a difference maker that's out there. You know, Tell us how unpopular she is. What do your polls show? I would say wildly unpopular, but I think it's oh, like... Whoa, 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 whoa. Did, like, give us a number. Like single, wildly unpopular. Single digit approval? Single digits? Um, I don't know about single digits. It's all varies by district. Um, you know, I think there's real intensity there. And okay. I think that there is a measure that you... Like, let's even take it beyond polling. I think there's a measure there that is a bit of an intangible. That if you were to go outside of the beltway and sit down in a coffee shop and talk to somebody about, you know, oh, you know, what do you think about putting Nancy Pelosi back in charge of government? There is this, like, reflex, this like, response that you get is that it is a reflex that seems to be this, like, baked sort of response where people remember what it was like, you know, back then, um, and that they don't want that again. And I think that what we're going to see is a lot of matchup between, you know, you know, whatever my counterpart here is got going on and, you know, and Nancy Pelosi on the other side of that. <laughs> um, you could, I like, wish you guys in podcast land could see the facial impression. <laughs> Dan is it? I wasn't <laughs> looking at him, so who knows what he was, who knows what he was uh, eyeing me over. You know, the, John, it's almost like you forget y'all are in power uh, <laughs> just for a minute there. Uh, and I totally appreciate where you're coming from. The reality of the situation is, is, and I'm sure this is uncomfortable, is Paul Ryan's less, not, is, is actually has lower favorability ratings than Nancy Pelosi does right now. Well, it, you can read that's every, the only, every That's not the only thing they poll, disagree on. But, yeah, but look, look, here is the reality of the situation <laughs> is, is the reality of the situation is in every major measurable factor since the beginning of the year, who do you trust? Who's on your side? Where are you on jobs? Where are you on taxes? Where are you on every major issue? The Republicans started the year in a very strong place, as they should. They control everything. Um, and now there are very, very – actually, there are almost no issues where the Democrats don't have a natural advantage. Now, and, and where the public opinion has moved in that direction. The truth is, is next year's election is about the president. It's about sitting members of, of the swamp – I'm sorry, of Congress – who are not willing – to meet with their own constituents. It is about how what is happening from a values and life every single day, day-to-day experience that members and people are having with their own members when they're not hosting town hall meetings, when they're not willing to have conversations. We can talk all day about who the potential leader could be. The reality of the situation is the people who have been led and been asked to... um, we have voters in this country who have asked their local leaders to represent them. They can't even get appointments with them and open doors with them. So I, I just find a very, very hard, I have a very hard time believing, giving all of those natural scenarios, that, that somehow um, Pelosi is going to be part of this. So, well, Dan, let's be frank, though, for a second. I, I mean, at the end of this cycle, Democrats in the House will have been out of power for eight years. Yeah. 
what has changed and what are you doing at the D-Trip different this time than maybe you did last cycle where you really think... Or the last four cycles. That you think is really going to be the change maker sure. that's going to be the difference. Well, look, the, first of all, the sheer size of the battlefield. I cannot emphasize to folks enough how big and how massive the battlefield is that we are working through. We have a battlefield right now. We have 91 plus targeted races. We have 84 of them that John, are you don't already think that's viable. No, and, and neither already viable. Hold on a second, races. Now, I, mean, I, I also want to go back Four toss-up seats right now. Uh, hold, hold on a sec. My, my, my counterpart, again, very smart, very smartly pointed out in Virginia that we basically won all the Clinton districts. I'd like to remind everybody that if we win the Clinton districts, we take back the House. And so while the battlefield is big and dynamic, my counterpart next year is going to have to choose between where do you let people go and then where do you go down with them. And you've already pointed to a few incumbents you want to go down with. And so I, I, I just think the reality is the battlefield, the fact that they are in power, is a substantially different I, I, I think if he holds on to that, he's going to have to make some tough choices too because that, that's just not – right now, they're, and this is not me. This is like the ratings agencies have about 24 seats that are rated as toss-up. So the independent, you know, bipartisan situation – disagrees with whatever, sure. you know, battlefield number yeah. you put out there. And so, you know, I really hope that you commit to that because yeah. we are also going to be on offense. There are also seats that Trump won that Democrats currently hold that we are going to go and get. Um, and, you know, and that's just not, that's, you know, your side of the story. But, you know, there's another side to that as well, that we're going to be on offense as well. And Nancy Pelosi is wildly unpopular out there. And I, I'm having a hard time remembering how many seats started as a toss-up. I think there were three or four that began as a toss-up, and now we're up to 24. I, I I don't believe Look, that's the case. The, the, the reality is, is in 2010, the only seats the Republicans lost when they took back the majority, there were three dark, dark, dark blue seats that they lost. Like Hawaii, for example. It's fair that you lost the seat in Hawaii. The idea that somehow our incumbents who have survived 2014 in particular are now vulnerable. 2006, do you know how many Democrats lost in 2006? Zero. History is just not on the side. It's not, it's, it, is, it is a dated view of the battlefield, and it's just, history is just not on their side. Well, whoever is right, we're going to have this podcast to listen back to. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot. There's Given a lot. the fact that we're neighbors, he's probably going to, we're, we're going to barbecue. Yeah, he's going to come, we'll be at a barbecue <laughs> watching the whole thing. Come in. We'll, let, we'll, we'll play it back. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. <laughs> over and over again. Well, I do want to talk about the tax bill, uh, which yeah. has been brought Great. up a little bit here. So, John, we only have a couple minutes left, so we have to do a rapid fire. So we'll do a rapid fire. fire. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about the policy, but I do want to talk about the polling because everything that we've been told from members that have been polling in their districts and other people is that it doesn't poll very well. How do you change that narrative? And well, what I, is the narrative? Yeah, I, I, have, I have a different opinion than a lot of people on the whole tax reform on that because, you know, it's really hard to pull a hypothetical, which... It, it, if you just like the, you know, you're, you're basically tax, you're basically pulling the current messaging that's going on in that day. Um, my own view of that is, you know, you're looking at polling where, you know, I've seen polling shows that I think it's 36% of people are $400 away from a personal economic collapse. And if, when tax reform occurs and when their folks withholdings change in January, February, whenever that is, and they see that they have another $100 in their paycheck, that's going to mean an, a lot to them. And it's, you know, if your question is, you know, hey, I gave you $100, do you like that or do you not like that? You know what the answer to that question is going to be. So I think it's really hard to pull that and get a fair read on that right now. Dan, that's a that's a, a tough thing for you guys to contend with. Yeah. People are going to have more money, and it's going to be Donald Trump and the Republican Congress that gave that to them, right? Uh, 
Well, I see the point that you're making. I think the biggest challenge we have is when you're spending six to ten million dollars a week just to get your vote, your members to vote for it. But if they have the money, what does it matter? Well, look, I think, I think, I think everything. Well, that, that's that, that's a fair point. But I think the reality is, is that, well, well, but the reality is, is they're doing it to even get to neutral. Look, let's be honest. If this thing does elevate, it's going to get to neutral. And we're living in a world where, basically, we've asked the Republican members to be able to pass a tax package. Good for you for doing something this year. The reality of the situation is the electorate doesn't trust the current Republican leadership. And the idea that that's somehow going to significantly be your shot to win the House back next year, I'm sorry, to hold the House next year, the gut reaction to this is bad. It's, 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 it's just, again, it's just a dated logic. Just very, very quickly, we're going to talk about um, uh, how Congress is handling some of these scandals uh, across the board, which are... Luckily for our audience in both parties, so we we're not we could have both people respond to to what the political impact of them is. And go ahead, Anna. You know, yeah, I mean, what is the impact that I mean that the swamp? I mean, you mentioned it earlier, just in terms of these ongoing sexual harassment allegations, the drip, drip, drip of ongoing investigations. How much of a just a pull is it going to be that maybe just like let's throw the bums out, everybody? And both of you guys have been unsuccessful in getting some of these guys out of Congress, so you you're kind of both in the same situation here. So let's talk about the impact. I, I think it's really simply like the the whole thing is just sad and unfortunate. You know, I, people were hoping for bipartisanship, and like this isn't what they were looking for. You know, it's uh, you know, I I, I just I, I really think the whole thing is sad and unfortunate, and you know, and it's on both sides of that. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. John and I both actually were talking in the back. Um, we both are, are fathers of, of daughters, and this yep. is just I, I don't think this is a political issue in terms of I think the way we view it and. Um, it's something I think both committees and, and both sides will take incredibly. But don't you think seriously. there will be an impact in the election potentially? Uh, individual elections, you know, overall remains to be seen. Okay. You know, I, remains could, to be seen. Could I ask? I'm going to ask one more question. Uh, this is something we always like to do with people running races across the country. Give us one either state or race that nobody is watching that could be could surprise people and, and, and go the way that oh. both of you want to. Go ahead, John. <laughs> That's a very we should I feel like I've gotten a Yeah, Dan, you go first. Time. Dan, you go oh, first. Uh, You're on the hot seat, Dan. Uh, state or race? Either. Uh, oh, North Carolina 9, Dan McCready. Watch out. Which is which district is 9? North Carolina 9. Uh, he's a Marine. Um, but who is he running against? Uh, Pittenger. Okay. John? Uh, Illinois 17, John. Uh, Mark Klein. Um, running against uh, Sherry Bustos. And Trump, Trump won the district, and I think a lot of folks don't realize that. And also, Minnesota, which you guys both yep. mentioned, is going to be a hot a potato. Very, yes. very, and, and it's been before, and actually the last time it was a very hot potato yes. was 2000. Minnesota is probably the, the early barometer in the evening for us. <laughs> wow, that's good to I don't know. know. John, I'm putting P- words in your mouth. Uh, people couldn't hear me shake my head. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We, have we, to found, wrap. we found some agreement at the end. There we this go. This is good. We have to wrap it up. Uh, John and Dan, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Give them really a round of applause. All right, Nerdcast listeners, thank you for listening. A reminder, you can subscribe to Politico Playbook's audio briefing on Apple Podcast, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the Nerdcast, too. We will be back on Friday with our regularly scheduled Nerdcast programming. Talk to you then.